0: Good morning. We have three passages that we're going to be reading over this morning. Uh, The first one comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 119. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes, as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. second reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the, woman, the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The last reading comes from the book of Colossians chapter 3. Great to have the um, high school with us today.
1: Um, They'll be pleased to know that a lot of today is all about pictures and um, ideas uh, that are framed up in terms of uh, stories, so see how we go today. Let's pray. Father, we pray now in faith, we ask you in the power of the Spirit to remind us of old insights, to reveal to us new things about ourselves, about our world, lighten our paths, show us the way, and place us in the gospel story. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Augustine of Hippo, many of you might know, lived a life of decadence in the fourth century after Jesus, doing as he pleased uh, into his thirties. He heard some kids playing in the house next door, perhaps a form of football, in the summer of 386, a great summer, I'm told. I quote, I heard from a neighboring house a voice, as of boy or girl, I know not, chanting and often repeating in the Latin, tolle lege, tolle lege, which means, take it up and read, take it up and read. So, checking the torrent of my tears, I arose, interpreting it to be no other than a command from God to open the book and read the first chapter, I find. Do you know what he found? Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the world is now a different place because he did that day. Today, we begin a new four week series called Four Habits to Shape the Heart. And every four years or so, we do a series on habits what the ancient Christians called the means of grace. We're saved by grace, but what sort of things can we do to access the grace in which we stand? And the first one is about reading the Bible it's, uh, it's to hear his voice, the first habit, to hear his voice, the habit of reading the Bible and hearing his voice. Today, there'll be one application a legae in the Latin. Take it up and read. Why the series? Well, the theme of our Sundays in 2019 is what we do on Monday, how we follow Jesus on Tuesday, how we witness to Christ on Wednesday, how we make wise decisions on Thursday, etc. But we don't want your faith to be, well, we don't want your faith to be what you might call a sandstone faith, which makes sense given our two buildings. One that really only exists within Christian community, or when everything's sort of aligned. Rather, we want your faith to be one that exists outside of Christian community, where things are unaligned, where there's opposition. We want your faith to be one that lasts a lifetime, and outside in what some call, I reject the proposition, but what some call the real world, so to speak. We want to be, as Jesus said, in the world, but not of the world. We want a faith that copes with complexity, and ambiguity, and nuance, even as you believe with clarity and conviction. Jesus himself said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, stores them into their lives, is like a wise man who built his house on rock. Bad stuff happened, rain came down, streams rose, wind blew, and beat against that house, and yet the house doesn't fall because it had its foundation on rock. We want to build the house of our lives on rock. Or, to put the series another way, for four weeks, we go to the gym. Actually, we're not going to go to the gym. Well, this is sort of gym, church. Not hard enough, probably. We want to talk about going to the gym. (laughs) But in the end, it's up to you to decide what you're going to do with the information that we discuss here and in groups. Four habits we're going to talk about that build faith, four habits that the people of God have used for centuries, these means of grace to build the body of Christ so that we'll be strengthened to live lives in the real world. There's been a lot of writing, a lot of work done recently in the secular and the Christian world on the importance of habits. When I was a kid, um, habits were looked down upon because they were boring and they were attached to discipline. And discipline was anti grace, and so I didn't like it. And um, you know, you just got all these habits, and they're not done joyfully, and they're not thought about. You do them because of habit, and so therefore, they're not real. But writers such as James Smith, an academic in the United States, he's written a book, it's a breathtaking book. Write this down if you've got the inclination. Maybe we can get it on the back table, Paul. We'll see how we go. James Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And he's put on the, back on the map, for many of us, the importance of habits. of which We've got four of them here. Not for duty's sake, but rather to shape the heart. Smith points out in his books that while we have a desire to shape culture, we're often not aware that it's culture shaping us. The, uh, the flow is going one way, and it's not the way you think it's going, Smith says. The habits form simply by imbibing the culture in which we live. Uh, without challenging it, have more say in our life than the life of Jesus. You've got this whole chapter on why the mall, read Shopping Centre, the Shopping Centre is a form of liturgy that informs our souls. The Shopping Centre says things like you want more, you need more, you should spend more, like other people around you. In contrast, the Scripture points our hearts to true north, So Smith says, get your habits right. For example, this is week three, go to church each week, not as a duty and, you know, in terms of the habit of doing so, not only even to encourage each other, although that's a worthwhile thing and and we're going to talk that week about that, in Hebrews chapter 10, but what it informs about your heart as to your own priorities. I know when I was a kid, I was made to go to church in the morning, that was a requirement until whatever, 15, but uh, for different reasons, I decided to join my father, who was a warden at his church in the evening, it wasn't required, but I went twice, morning and evening, mostly because Casey Kasem's top 40 countdown was played on the radio after church, and the only place I could hear the music was the car, need your keys dad, (laughs) capture the last 10 songs. are all being explored in Stranger Things right now. Actually, that's not true. There was something about deciding to go of my own volition that informed my own heart and shaped it, even now. Sing songs that you know, not just at church, but during the week. You have Spotify, maybe. It shapes the heart. Say your confessions. I mean, they're printed every week, you've just got to take them home. Say your creeds even on your own, your four comfortable words. They lift up your hearts to the Lord and read your Bible. Pray your prayers, etc., etc. In other words, it's time to go to the gym and get some regularity in your life. And it's up to you what you do with this, by the way. Because I know somebody says, Go to the gym, and I go, You know what? I'm not going to fork out the thousand dollars because I'm not going to go. And there are some of you that will hear this message and you'll go, yeah, yeah, four habits, tick, 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 you're not going to do it, right? And I know that, I feel it myself. Habits are hard to form. We're going to talk a little bit over the series about how the habits are formed, what sort of things you have to do to get the habits going. That'll all come out as we unfold the series. But today, hear His voice, the habit of reading the Bible. Next week, have His ear, that's about prayer. Then, be at the table, that's about presence and care. And then, share the table, which is about hospitality and mission. I want you to get that. it's so simple, get those four phrases in your mind over the series. To hear His voice, to have His ear, to be at the table, and to share the table. To form the habit of hearing His voice, I want you to know what the Bible says the word is in the hopes of increasing your desire to tolerate to pick it up and read it. And then give you a couple of tips on how to do that based on an ancient prayer. So those four, or three tips uh, come out of uh, a gentleman called Kevin Van Hoozer who wrote an essay on this and included it in a chapter in a book. Uh, I could have said much more than this, but in the scriptures, the word is a lamp to light the way, a compass to find our way and a script to story our way, to find our place in the story. So firstly, the word is a lamp to light the way. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. In verse 103, he writes, How sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth, claims the psalmist. Can you share his enthusiasm? I gain... Understanding from your precepts, therefore, I hate every wrong path because there are wrong paths to take. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your word, says the psalmist, is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path, a torch marking the way. So, firstly, he says that sinking your teeth into scripture will bring satisfaction. And wisdom, these words, are sweeter than honey to my mouth. They speak of such hope. But Psalm 119 is a psalm that looks at the Torah, the Jewish scripture, the law of God, the statutes and the precepts and the commands of God. And the psalmist says they are a delight. And at first, you think the law being good, the Torah, no way. It's weighty, long, culturally irrelevant and impossible to do, you might say. Leviticus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are mud, you say to yourself. Perhaps that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, killed by Adolf Hitler, he was told in his Bible college that Psalm 119 was the most boring of Psalms. But what's striking about Psalm 119 is what the Torah brings, delight, taste, maybe even for the first time, light on my path. Despite what he had been taught, Bonhoeffer, in a Nazi prison, found 100 Psalm 119, the heartiest psalm of all, he relished the times he could meditate to chew on this psalm. But I want to make one point this morning, that you want to be able to get to a point where you can say to God, your word is a lamp for my feet, a, a, feet, a light on my path. It should be said, it doesn't illuminate everything. There'll be nothing here about fixing a car or the genetic code if you're facing cancer. There's much more that we sort of need to know in life than is found in Scripture. It's one of the reasons why Christians who believe in a creator God who has ordered this world, it's one of the reasons why we relish the sciences, why we delight in the humanities, why we take note of our studies. But Scripture is sufficient for all matters of faith and conduct. It's enough light for your feet. Not just for your brain. It's not about sort of titillation of ideas. It's light for your feet as you take the next step in the journey towards God. It shows the end of the path, all things renewed in Christ. Not easy to believe when you're suffering, but that's what, that's what the light is. And it shows the next step. Jesus said, follow me consistent with the rest of Scripture, at the very beginning of Scripture, God said, let there be light, Genesis chapter 1. In the Old Testament, Israel is called the Son of God, the light of the world, but John the Baptist will eventually say the true light, not Israel, the one that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, such that Jesus can say, I am the light of the world, and the Apostle Paul can write, for it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There's something about the life of Jesus. In other words, when we read Scripture, it is light to our path. But it only lights the way to Jesus for those who want what God wants, Jesus said, pokingly, you like that word? I'm going to use it more often. In John chapter 5, He said to those who study the Scriptures, religious people, good people, but they studied their Scriptures without humility, not wanting to really hear what it's actually all about. Jesus said to them, you've never heard His voice, nor does the Word dwell in you, because you don't believe in the one he has sent, you study the Scriptures and you do it diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. That's true. But these are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is giving us a hermeneutic about how to read the whole of Scripture. truth, of course, is as we come to the light, we can now see the darkness because we know what the light is. We can see our own sin, our own stubbornness. And yet we see, with greater clarity, the light of life, Jesus Christ. I need to start reading my Bible again, for light to my path. It is, secondly, a compass to find our way. I love how in Luke 24, after Jesus had risen from the dead, that means all the hopes of the disciples have been dashed, because Jesus was dead. How can a dead person bring about your hopes? The kingdom of God was therefore no longer coming. Therefore, it's now business as usual, uh, sin as usual, oppression as usual, injustice as usual. They'll have their day. But Jesus, risen from the dead, meets two of them, verse 13, as they're going into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus sidled up alongside them. But they were kept from recognising him, and he asked them, I love the questions Jesus asked, by the way, what are you discussing together as you walk along? See, they were on a journey. What's on your heart? They were, of course, discussing what happened these past few days, that Jesus looked like he was going to be the Messiah, but with his death, death, their hopes were dashed. But they didn't realise that only by going down could he come up again. That's the character of God's dealing with a fallen world, is to go into the fall and up again. They didn't realise that only by dying were their hopes to remain alive. And that's why Jesus says in verse 25, how foolish you are. Would he say that to you and me? How foolish you are and how slow to believe. Now he could say, how slow you are to believe this miracle. Now, I've got to tell you, miracles without context are hard to believe. Like, people rising from the dead, you know, are you serious? But Jesus doesn't say that, He says, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets had spoken. This resurrection comes in a context of thousands of years of story and promises. Did you not realize the Messiah had to suffer those things and then enter His glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. You see that? starts with Moses at the beginning. Through all the prophets, he mapped out which direction the whole thing was heading. The, the, the true north, the compass point, that God, the Son, must become the Son of God. In other words, the Messiah, and that Messiah must suffer in order to bring you to glory. He must go down before coming up again to bring the whole ruined world with him. And there can be no other way. And so the word is our compass, and it points true north to Jesus. Many of you will know that um, a couple of years ago, a 50-year-old businessman came to church on Christmas Eve, and he he said this to me. He said, I've been following my inner moral compass for my whole adult life, which, by the way, is the Australian way. Yeah? Yeah? My inner moral compass which by the way for lots of australians is pretty good you know for a lot of them it's pretty good not for everyone by the way he says i've been following my inner moral compass my whole adult life but now it's time to find true north in other words i've been following my pretty good inner moral compass but it has led me away from the true god what this means practically is that when you read the bible you can't read it as a rule book to just follow rules. You can't simply read it as a guide for living, as though the, the VCR needed a manual. You certainly can't read it as a, just a cultural relic for Jewish people. It's a story that stories in Gentiles, like me. The Bible is a story, a love story, that maps out God's relationship to all of humanity. And uh, Kevin Van Huser says this in his, in his essay, he says, like an atlas, it actually has lots of maps. You could argue 66 separate maps, books of the Bible with different genres, styles, if I can put it this way, colors. As Kevin Van Hoozer writes, in order to, write, to read a map rightly, what do you need? In order to read a map rightly, you have to understand its legend and its scale. This book begins with, let there be light. It's propelled forward. By a promise to a wandering nomad called Abraham. It's demonstrated this message with power, with the uh, salvation, the redemption of, out of Egypt. We are warned by the exile of the consequences of sin, but we are made hungry by the extraordinary promises of the prophets of the kingdom of God. And so it's no wonder that the first words of Jesus' adult ministry were, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is water to a thirsty soul. And then his next word is, come and follow me. And so we have to place ourselves in the story. I'm the created one, but I am the sinner. I am the stubborn one. And I live in a stubborn world with a, with a presence of evil that Jesus came to defeat Jesus Is the Jewish Messiah who's come to save me, his resurrection from the dead, the first of many for this fallen world. He had to die. Kevin Van Hooser again, we have to get our own bearings in the story, we have to get orientated, and unless we can determine our position relative to other things, we remain lost. If the map is to give actual guidance, we have to know where true north is and our place in the story. That's exactly what Jesus did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus. By the way, side point, it's one of the reasons I struggle with the word uh, biblical. It's biblical, meaning it's in the Bible. Now, some of you, your heresy bells are going to start ringing immediately. But there are a lot of things, if I can put it this way, are biblical, meaning they're in the Bible, but read in light of the whole, you have to change their meaning of it. I'll give you an example Go build that temple, Jesus said to the Jewish people, and Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. In other words, it's biblical to build a temple, but it's not biblical to build a temple, you see. It's not apostolic, if I can put it this way, because Jesus built the temple in three days in his body. Or here's another one. In the Jewish Torah, if someone's caught in the act of adultery, there is a command to take them out of the city and stone them to death. What do you think they were doing when Jesus brought the woman caught in adultery to the feet of Jesus. They're saying Moses commanded that this woman should be stoned to death. In other words, it's biblical to stone someone who's caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, no, God will judge, or oh, He'll judge, by the way, to commit adultery. There will be a judgment, but you're not the ones to enact it, so drop the stones. Whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. In other words, it's biblical to stone someone, but not biblical, if I can put it that way, because you've got to understand our place in the whole story we read the whole bible through if i can put it this way the apostolic lens i am if i can put it this way an apostolic christian rather than a biblical one rather than a flat biblical lens the bible is a compass and it points to jesus and when you read a story in the bible you have to understand its place within the whole which relates to my third point that the bible is a script to story our way through life i'll be brief Paul writes tantalizingly in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, as you have traction with your words with each other, with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I'm reminded of Psalm 119, verse 172. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. In other words, let the message of Christ, this script of Christ, be the script of our lives. Let the message of Christ be the narrative, because there are plenty of narratives, stories to live by. There is an Australian way, a a Western narrative, a traditional way of doing things. But Paul says, let this word story you into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that'll take a lifetime, by the way, or rather over a lifetime. But it begins with the first step. Eugene Peterson looks at this verse and says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. We believe that as you read these words, as you live them out, You are hearing the voice of God, not because you feel a certain way. A lot of people say, I was there, I didn't feel God. Nor also because you hear a certain voice, like an audible voice. When you read these words, you can hear the voice of God because they are God's words written, whether you believe them or not. But Paul can say to the church in Thessalonica, he can say, we thank God continually because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, we were the ones talking. You accepted it, not as a human word, not with human origins, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Store it in, part of your framework, your makeup. So, finally, some things to do to increase the habit. Let's talk about going to the gym, with Joy and not Judy, and it won't cost you a thousand bucks. In the collect for the second Sunday in Advent, uh, the Anakins have this prayer. It's a beauty. It goes like this: "Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant, God, we're praying to you, that we may in such ways—five things: hear them, read, mark, learn, and you know what it is—and inwardly digest them, that we may by patient endurance." So, five things to do. Number one, hear this word. Listen in church. Listen closely. Listen leaning in. Listen with a pen. I mean, we put the, you know, we put the Bible readings on white paper. We need to hear this word. We need also to read this word, which means we need to open a Bible, (laughs) Uh, a Year with Jesus is a way to hear the Word, which is our app, and you can find out about this devotional um, tool by the back pages of your orders of service. A Year with Jesus has a four-year library on, on, on verses of Scripture, reflected on, and with, with comments about prayer. John, Matthew, Acts, now Mark. You can go back into the library and look at those Those reflections. Or, if it's not your thing, find one book of the Bible and make September your month. I mean, you've got a week to prepare for this. Make September your month. And for example, find a book that has about 30 chapters, which would be John's Gospel or Luke's Gospel, and read one chapter a day. Or a shorter book, like 1 Corinthians, with its 15 chapters. That's about two, uh, a chapter every, uh, two, a chapter every two days. Or even more, if that's not your thing, a shorter book, maybe even with about 30 or 40 verses, and divide it, and read a sentence each day. My dad used to have that. I didn't know you were going to be here. Awkward, but it's in my notes. I've got to say, no Bible, no breakfast. I I, I've never been able to do that for a whole bunch of ADHD reasons. But I I wonder if that's a a way to forward. No Bible, no breakfast. So simple, isn't it? No Bible, no breakfast. Hard if you've got kids. you try trying to get them out the door. But some of you don't have kids, and you've got some time. Maybe you don't. We need to hear these words. Read these words. Mark them, which means pay close attention. It's like, mark my words. Underline words that are important to you. Or print them out. You can do that these days. And mark it up. You know, maybe they're key is to mark up a chapter, a little section you want to read each day, and then go and buy some highlighters, like you're back in high school. Mark them. Learn them. One way to do that is to read books alongside the Bible. And I've got four books that are on the back table. They've been there for quite some time. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, frames up the gospel with good theology and will tell you exactly where the Bible fits into that story. You think that's a bit too hard. Here's a great one. Vaughan Roberts wrote a book God, God's big picture, that's the narrative of the Bible from beginning to end, you can find out where David fits in and how it relates to Jesus and how that relates to my life, these are all on the back table, you can just look at the back, I think you just blip your card there, put the figure in and blip your card, if you can't figure that out, just take it, tell the office you've got it and put the money in the bank account or just take it, did I say that? There's no warden here, if you've got a problem with, um, you know, if you've got a problem with the Bible, if you've got doubts, you're in good company. John Dixon wrote a book called A Doubter's Guide to the Bible. It really takes apart the Bible and frames it up in a good way. Or how to read the Bible for all it's worth, how to take uh, the best parts about it. And, and uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart help you to read the Bible. So we need to hear, read, mark, learn them. And most importantly, we need to inwardly digest them. As Eugene Peterson once wrote, you need to eat this book. It is sweeter than honey, even if sometimes, maybe at first, it is bitter to the stomach. Eat this book, and over a lifetime, it will shape your life. Get the words into your bloodstream, such that you bleed scripture. Meditate on the words, chew on them, sing them, memorise them. Find memory verses in each text that you read, and then live them until they are storied into your life. Live them. Such that perhaps uh, even today you can toll a leg, pick it up and read it, and see how Jesus begins to shape the heart. Let's pray. Father, some of us find it hard, uh, but the challenge is there. Um, and I guess, like when somebody. Uh, has a fitness issue at, at play. They, they perhaps want to run a marathon, but they haven't run for years. Perhaps it's as simple enough to go for a, a kilometre run uh, ahead of learning how to do bigger runs. And I pray that for some of us, it might be as simple as reading a verse of scripture every morning from a gospel or just a story there and underlining one verse that means something to me and then praying about it. Perhaps it's... Uh, Find in the app and and just listening uh, once or twice a week until we find ourselves in a habit uh, of doing more. We pray that uh, the word of Christ would, uh, over time, uh, dwell among us in community and in our own hearts richly as we sing to each other and as we admonish and, and speak to one another with all wisdom. We pray that over a lifetime you might begin to shape our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen.